the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. If you're like me and a little bit of a news junkie and you happen to be in financial news, you knew yesterday that something happened that was going to cause the markets to have a big open. Shares of Moderna, ticker symbol MRNA, this company we've been talking about for a while, says that they're developing robust antibody responses to COVID-19. And Wall Street goes, let's rise 500 points. Yesterday at 3 in the afternoon, and they're like, this morning, I was like, let's rise 400 points. This morning before it opened, let's rise 300 points. So you pay attention to the headlines because it's kind of a nice story. It's kind of um, the best part about what I do is there's a story to it. Mortgage rates are setting another record low. That's positive. Apple doesn't have to pay nearly $15 million in Irish taxes. Let's go back for just a second. Mortgage rates setting yet another record low. Is it positive or does it mean the economy is in shambles? It means the economy is in shambles. But for the long-term, positive. Short-term, negative connotations, long-term, positive. Um, I did the morning show for CFP, Chad Burton, New Focus on Wealth. You can get a podcast of it by going to newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. I sat in for CFP, Chad Burton, because tomorrow is a webinar. First time we've got out there and stretched our legs since COVID has really hit as far as new customer acquisition ideas. Uh, CFP, Chad Burton here to talk about it right here, right now. How are you, Mr. Burton? Doing well, Rob. How are you? Doing well. COVID-free still, um, as best yeah, I can tell. <laughs> good, 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 good. Um, believe it or not, I think there'll be the dating apps that you can now check COVID-free. Have you had it or not? But I digress, and I'm not asking, I'm not asking to date you, Chad. <laughs> but if I were, um, what are a few post-pandemic investment changes in your mind as we're preparing for the webinar? I mean, I'm sure you're putting some of this, these ideas together for tomorrow night. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, some of the biggest issues that we're dealing with is just the acceleration of issues that we've been talking about. Uh, we, we've been on this war path, it seems, that it took probably me about a decade to to really comprehend, I guess you could say, of, of lower interest rates. So if we kind of look at the last 70 years, we went on an increase in interest rate path, and then the last 35 years, we've... You know, so 35 years up and then 35 years down and an increase in debt and the debt level in terms of the highest budget deficit that we've ever seen, we're still not where China is in terms of anywhere close as debt as in terms of GDP. Um, so there's still there's still some hope out there. <laughs> there's a lot of hope, actually, because we have a large millennial population and I think we're going to have a covid baby boom. So our demographics are good. Um, but because there is a lot more debt and there, there has been all of this stimulus, I mean, there was, I think 831 billion was 2008 and 2009 was a stimulus, Rob. Yes. Um, I've got to pull up my own slide that I'm going to use tomorrow. Right. But, um, we got the cares act, which the first round of it was $2 trillion. 
I mean, it was huge. It was quick. Huge. It was it was a large amount of stimulus, but that money comes from somewhere. And because printing, the printing presses, stimulus, yeah, absolutely, absolute printing press. And so we all eventually pay for it, and that means interest rates are lower. And I go through this tomorrow, where it kind of explains where rates were even prior to two thousand seven versus now. And I mean, we're talking about a quarter income that you used to get from bonds now in your retirement. So when I got into the business 25 years ago, the traditional portfolio for retirees was 40% stock, 60% bonds. As interest rates came down, that was flipped. And in the 90s, it became 60-40 with that 4% draw rule. And now there's all sorts of talk whether it's you know Professor Siegel with that works with Wisdom Tree or BlackRock, where the new sixty forty is now either a seventy five twenty five seventy five stocks twenty five bonds, or sixty percent stocks twenty percent alternatives twenty percent bonds, because when you look at bonds, the idea of rates being low and duration has gone up. Duration is interest rate sensitivity. When interest rates go up, bonds can fall in value if you sell them. And the duration on the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index has gone up by about two, right? So that means we have way less income and higher sensitivity to interest rates. So I'm not worried about stocks in the long run, Rob. If I look at the stock market performance for the last 86 years, it was about the same for the first 43 years as it was the, the, the second 43 years. It was almost right around 11%. I think stocks will continue to do that over a full retirement cycle of 35 years. But it's the bonds in the next 10 years that people have to be a little bit more careful of um, in terms of which types of bonds that they own. And because interest rates are so low, I'm going to explain tomorrow why retirement is a little bit more expensive for just the traditional portfolio. It's the it's it's gone up by about you need about five percent more in your portfolio or so to retire these days than you did prior to 2007. So if your target was, I need $2 million um, to retire, it's, it's really, in that scenario, might have been, now you need 2150000 something like that. So it's just yeah. made it more expensive to retire because your income on your bonds is lower. It's interesting that you we talk about interest rates and bonds because I think I've gotten lucky, Chad, and you can address this ever so briefly. It, 25 years ago, I referred to myself on air as a stock jockey. I cared more about stocks and bonds. I left the bonds of the old people like Warren Buffett. That was my marketing shtick. It, it's actually served me out well because it's been 20 or kind of lower interest rate, interest rate lower. Like it's worked out well. Was I luckier? Was I smarter? Is it a combination? Should I gloat? Should I brag? Should I say it out loud? Or do I look stupid? Uh, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, I think that it, it, there, there's there's kind of two scenarios here. If you're in, you know, five, 10 years away from retirement or in retirement, you know, you, yeah. your your wealth, a lot of your wealth has already been built and it's a matter of managing it. Yeah. yeah. But if you're younger, let's say you're 45, so you've got 15, 20 years to go. That's when you typically start adding significant bonds to your portfolio over time. And people just aren't doing that these days. So yeah. they're more interested in, you know, real estate or, or whatever it may be. And I, I talked to my 20 year old about ETFs that he's buying at TD Ameritrade. What's he buying? The idea that you buy an ETF and it's got a 2% dividend yield, which is more than the 10 year treasury. 
and it's got a whole bunch of stocks in it that are likely going to be worth a lot more in the next 10 to 15 years. And those dividends get reinvested. And eventually you stop reinvesting them and start living off of them as passive income. So passive income from your stocks, passive income from your real estate. That's kind of what the direction of, of most younger people are going to be going. We've got about a minute left in this segment, but coming up, we'll talk a little bit about our stocks expensive now. Because is real estate expensive now? Everyone wants to buy at the perfect price. We'll also talk about what are you looking for as far as action. We'll talk a little bit more about the webinar. Uh, do a quick plug. We've got less than a minute. Do a quick plug on the webinar tomorrow night and where people can sign up. Okay, how to calculate the new cost of retirement, how to manage your portfolio in terms of when you pull gains, how much cash you need, how long should that cash last to get you through a tough market cycle. Uh, very detailed webinar. It's, it's going to be a lot of information because there's a lot of new stuff. Sounds good. Coming up, I'll talk a little bit more with CFP Chad Burton about the expenses of stock markets. I've already learned one thing in the segment, maybe only one, because I know Chad well, but it's one good thing. Retirements can be more expensive because of what's happening now. I used to say a million dollars would pay you $40,000 a year. That's kind of crazy now because I was basing that on a 4% dividend yield. And now I have to extrapolate. I'm going to learn more tomorrow night in the webinar, newfocusfinancial.com. Listen to the commercials. Sign up today. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I don't really know where this song came from, but it is what it is. Speaking with CFP Chad Burton, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. You can find him every morning from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. here on AM 1220 KDOW. If you don't have time for that, there's a podcast that you can get at newfocusfinancial.com while you're signing up for the webinar that we're going to talk about right here, right now. CFP Chad Burton webinar is tomorrow night. It's our first chance of uh, spreading our legs or stretching our legs or getting into new content, opening ideas. Um, Are you excited by that to kind of get back to work, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I miss the interaction with the with uh, all the listeners for sure. It's it's a different environment. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find ways to make the webinar more interactive. But uh, as you're trying to create a studio at home right now, you know, it's a little bit more difficult. So there will be video. Past webinars have just been my voice and my screen. But at least we'll we'll see a little bit of Rob and Chad, right? Are we doing it uh, WebEx? Are we doing it um, Zoom? It Zoom. Zoom webinar, yeah. And there's only about 120 spots left, so. And that means people are going to see us. Do people have to have a camera? Uh, No. No. Do I have to have a camera? Yes, you will. (laughs) People are going to see my studio. You're making yours look (laughs) nice. I'm making mine look like a pigsty, but that's a little bit different. Um, That virtual background button, Rob, is all you need to do. I'm good. Uh, we'll talk today about do you want me on camera or off camera? Because I don't like to stand on camera in those events. I feel like I should, I might pick my nose, and I don't think people want to see that. Because you could pick your stocks, and you could pick your nose. No, no, you could pick your – you got the idea. You can't pick your friend's nose. <laughs> good try, though. <laughs> uh, CFP Chad Burton, are stocks expensive right now? If you wanted to pick stocks for me as a CFP, are they too expensive? Are you backing off? Are you changing things? Well, at this point, it's it's kind of like, uh, can you be ready to move into the stuff that is cheap? Because if you look at uh, the NASDAQ or the ETF QQQ, you're talking about a PE ratio currently of uh, weighted average PE ratio of 30.2. 
that's not cheap. Right now, the S&P 500 is is trading at 22, and there's the biggest in terms of where the price is and where earnings are being reported right now. It's a it's the biggest divide in quite a while. So. The idea is that it's about 12 to 15 stocks that are pushing these indexes up higher. And rightly so, because they're, you know, growing revenue in a, in a large, large fashion. Um, I mean, you've got Microsoft and quarterly year over year growth of revenue at 14.56%, where a lot of companies are down right? Earnings are going to be down quite a bit this quarter. That's what is expected as these earnings reports are coming out right now, except for some of these tech companies that are really benefiting from the having to work from home. Um, Where you look at, uh, say, a value ETF like VLUE, um, and I got to remember when that reconstitutes, I think it's May of every year where it swaps out different holdings and looks at the S&P 500 or the Russell 1000 value and weights towards the lower PE, lower prices to book ratio stocks, that's got a weighted average PE of 12.35. Okay. So the tech run-up, you know, you're, you're getting to that point where, okay, it is warranted because they're growing revenue double digits. And the alternative to that are stocks like energy and financials that are doing nothing or bonds that are paying a historically low rate. So that's why the money's been pushed over into that area. If we do get through the fall um, and we do get some sort of a vaccine, you have to be ready to be able to move back into the cyclicals, the the industrial stocks, the you know energy and materials and financials. Um, if you are drastically overweight, that tech, that large cap play. Sure. Um, the other thing is, too, there is still a huge amount of uh, money in money market funds, Rob. Yes. Um so and bank accounts, too. Peaks. Yeah. There's been these peaks that we've seen. So January of 2003, there was $2.3 trillion in money markets. January of 2009, uh, you know, the market bottomed in March of 2009, $3.8 And now there's $4.8 trillion in money market funds. And when those peaks occur and then start to drop again, typically you have really good stock market performance. For example, from January 31st, 2003 to uh, January 31st of 06, the market averaged 16.4% over those three years. And from January 31st of 09 to January 31st of 2012, the market averaged 19.2%. Because that, that cash ends up going somewhere. And when people feel like, okay, we're out of this situation, it gets shoved in, and that next play is probably going to be those cyclical stocks that have been underperforming. You got energy stocks getting crushed because nobody's driving like they used to, right? Um, sure. Nobody's flying. Um, you've got the bank stocks, which you know they're dealing with loan losses right now. Yet some of their stuff, like J.P. Morgan's wealth management side and, and trading side, just crushing it. Um, and and then you've got industrial stocks, and a lot of industrial stocks. If they're anything have anything to do with aerospace, they're you know in the dumpster right now, right? So there are a lot of cheap stocks and also small cap uh, value, especially. You have the biggest underperformance of small cap value versus large cap, I think, in history at this point, and that tends to cycle out and flip. 
And then you're starting to see a lot of news on international developed, oddly enough. So if you look at international emerging markets over the last month and a half or so, they've been really, really well, especially emerging markets. But the feeling out there in terms of stocks already were cheap going into 2020 and international developed and dealing with the virus a little bit better and more growth and stimulus that, that we don't talk about here in the U.S., the money's going to find the cheaper places to invest as it pulls out of the money market funds. So it's just really a time to, to okay, where am I drastically overweighted? If I'm overweighted in, in tech and large growth, it's actually the good place to be right now. But be ready to recognize when the value play does start to turn around. It would have turned around if we wouldn't have had COVID. It was already starting to swap and then COVID hit and, and then it, that value play died again. But it will shift. Everything doubles. We're down to less than a minute and a half. What are you looking for in the stock market right now? What areas would Chad Burton be putting money to work at? Well, remember, when I buy individual stocks, I only buy dividend achievers. So large and uh, some mid-cap stocks that have a history of increasing their dividend usually by about 10% a year on average, either over a five or 10-year period. Um, and so other than that, I'm using ETFs and actively managed no-load funds. Uh, I'm still, you know, in that large cap tech space is pretty darn attractive, but I'm still holding the small caps and looking at that area as 10 years, I think a big outperformance. And again, trying to be ready to shift to that value play um, and watching what money market funds do. Again, Rob, real quickly, there was a huge outflow in emerging market funds in the last couple of years. And that's, that typically calls for outperformance the following three to five years. Sounds good. People will learn more by listening to your show daily. They can go to newfocusfinancial.com, grab a copy of the podcast while you're there. They can sign up for the webinar, 120 spaces left. I'm looking forward to it. And again, I think we're going to be doing it on Zoom. So get the Zoom client ready on your computer. Sign up uh, tomorrow evening. People can um, jump on in, so to speak, investing in retirement post-pandemic. It's going to be July 16th. Sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. There's been one guest, if I were to write a book of great guests that I've had in the last 20 years, that stands out. It's Patrick O'Hare from Briefing.com. In a lot of ways, I think I'd be friends with him if I lived in the same community because he likes to talk stocks and I like to talk stocks and... That's better than talking about the Bears or the 49ers in my mind. Um, how are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob, I'm doing well, and I would agree with you uh, all, in all respects. It's the greatest job, isn't it, talking about stocks? Because the stories, you get to talk politics, you get to talk murder, you get to talk wealth and gold and power and expensive divorces. It's like an episode of Dynasty. It's, 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 it's yeah, good. Sure. They kind of, yeah, never a dull moment. So it's always uh, fun to think about uh, what you're going to wake up to and have to talk about on any given day. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Um, yesterday, after the markets closed, Moderna said we're building significant antibodies. Um, Wall Street's kind of waiting for a cure, a treatment, some positive news. Um, what are, what's your reflection on today's opening and like how the data is starting to shape up, if you think it is starting to shape up and or not? Well, um, you know, it's, it's certainly some nice price action, um, a little bit 
skeptical about the the scope of the gain. I mean, I think you know Moderna's announcement was kind of a, a formal uh, declaration of what it had informally announced back in early uh, early May. Um, granted, the the patient data set was a little bit larger. I think the May announcement included only eight patients, and um, and this one is a more comprehensive study of forty five patients. But you know what? The, this market loves hearing any type of positive narrative as it relates to progress with vaccines uh, for COVID. Um, because really, at the end of the day, every one of us uh, just wants to get back to normalcy. And the thought of there being a vaccine potentially available in the relatively near future uh, is something that the stock market can hang its hat on and as, as a positive development. And it is, you know. Um, but... Uh, but there's still a lot of ground to cover, obviously. There's nothing that's been uh, fully proven, certainly nothing that's been approved. And, and then you're still going to have to get over the hurdle in terms of the general public's uh, uh, perception of safety uh, of the vaccine and, and basically what the uptake rate will ultimately be when, uh, when one is unveiled. So, um, so for today, anyway, you know, good news, and we can understand the market's positive reaction um, as this news is kind of overshadowing uh, all else. You know, particularly the um, you know the growing sense of tension between the United States and China. A little off topic, but I think you'll appreciate this as anecdotal evidence. Um, back in the 1990s, HIV kind of hit in a big way, and Michael. Uh, Johnson, uh, Magic Johnson, kind of, kind of changed the narrative huge. And I was a dating man, and like I remember, like I had to go get an HIV test before you go on formal dates with women, and you should kind of show them, kind of think that didn't last long, and it kind of wore off. But it's the same kind of concept of, um, well, we have COVID test people who believe people who don't. And do we change our society? Do we not? And I'll almost disagree with you. I don't want things to change. I've actually enjoyed slowing things down. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go back to normal. Normal is crazy. Yeah. But I digress. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there are there are some, some side benefits, if you will, in terms of uh, of the uh, situation we're in. However, I think it, just in a very generalized sense, uh, it would be nice to kind of like be able to go about one's life without there being any um, deliberate restrictions on what you can and can't do. And and obviously it's uh, it's going to bode well for so many businesses that are you know struggling here to to try and abide by these regulations restrictions to help contain the virus. And, and I think that's really really what I'm driving at there is you know you want to see things improve in a great sense for a broader swath of people. And, and that would be the case, certainly, if you get a, a vaccine that is, is both trusted and reliable. Your page one column for briefing.com included a phrase that I'm going to read. Uh, market participants are going back to the well to fill their buckets with the usual reopening suspects. This would include airline, cruise lines, lodging, casinos, restaurants, retails, energy stocks, to name a few. Um, I love that kind of commentary. Um, are you a little bit, am I getting sarcasm there that we're going to the well to fill our buckets? Are you kind of implying that we're being a little greedy here on speculation? Well, no, not necessarily. I think okay, really what I was implying there is that, you know, uh, we've had a range bound market here since June 8th and we're now testing the upper end of that range. But, you know, uh, the market has chopped around based on the prevailing headline of the day. And today's headline, as we discussed, was a positive sounding one as it related to vaccine products. Progress. And and kind of to the point we're talking about this, re, quote, return to normalcy, possibly once you eventually get a vaccine that's trusted and reliable, uh, you're going to see tremendous benefit to those businesses that have 
been the most severely affected by this shutdown period because of COVID. And so the market trades that uh, idea on a day like today. And so you're going back to these many of these areas that are dependent on, you know, travel and dining out and retail and, um, you know, lodging. Um, and then by the same token, you're seeing a the outperformance of the cyclical value in small cap stocks over the counter cyclical growth in mega cap stocks, which tend to lead in periods when there's doubts about when the headlines create doubts about the pace of economic recovery uh, and the uh, you know rising concerns about uh, a second wave of you know virus infection without there being a vaccine. So, um, so that's all I was really driving at. And I think really you know from a long term investor standpoint though is that if you if you truly believe that there's a vaccine that you know, coming on the horizon and that, you know, we're going to get, you know, great pickup in economic activity because of it. Um, well, the, the the blueprint is right there for you in terms of the stocks that are going to do extremely well, certainly in the initial phase of, of a, um, quote, normal period. And, uh, you know, and again, it's going to be those small cap value cyclical names uh, as opposed to the ones that have outperformed during this difficult period, you know, particularly the, you know, the mega cap stocks. Good stuff. And it's all contained in your page one. Um, Briefing does a great job of coming up with new stories throughout the day, insights into valuations, small cap, big cap trading. There's so much going on at the site. Let's talk a little bit about um, what we were talking about maybe this time last year. Uh, China and the United States and the trade war and Trump and she loves me, she loves me not. And how we were trading based on, oh, it looks like a deal is going to go through. Oh, it looks like there's no deal. Oh, it looks like there's going to be a phase two. Oh, it looks like there's going to be no phase two. Um, How worried are you about what's going on in the last year with China? And should we, the average people, the plebeians, if you will, be worried? Oops, we lost Pat. So he's going to call right back in is my assumption. 21st century technology. Apple's coming up with a new 5G phone. They said yesterday that it may be a little bit cheaper. And what's cool about 5G is it should stay connected a little bit better. So we won't lose calls quite as easily as we do today. The data will be more real time on. And that should help power a lot of the Internet of Things, which has been one of the backside stories this year of uh, what should be happening. The Internet of Things and the 5G plays and the Apples and the Broadcoms and the Qualcomms um, and all the companies that have got something to look forward to in the back half of the year. Let's go back to Patrick O'Hare. Mr. O'Hare, I was talking uh, real briefly about, you know, last year at this time we were talking about China and Trump and it was on and again, off again, on again, off again, and then COVID happened. How worried are you about the president reelection cycle as well as the president's relationship with China. And should we be worried? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's clearly a, a you know, rising tension now between, you know, the U.S. and China, and, and it's certainly going to be a, a political, um, uh, you know, hot point as we, as we move closer to the election here in terms of what we want our relationship to China to be and, and who presumably has the better plan for dealing with China. Um, and, uh, you know, I do think, though, that uh, the market, again, is kind of telling us today that it's still willing to kind of bide its time and recognizes that there's a lot of just um, jawboning, you know, going on right now or more jawboning anyway than than actual action that's going to truly um, lead to a deterioration in 
um, you know, in, in economic growth because of our dealings with China. So, so we haven't hit that inflection point yet where there's a real break that's going to have a true economic impact that the market can discount. <clears throat> so uh, it's just going to be a continued source of headline volatility here up through up through the no- November, um, and there's just no getting getting around that. <laughs> I always like to end the segment with asking you, what are you working on? What do you think we need to know? What are your thoughts? Anything you want to conclude the segment with? Well, I was just saying, you know, there's probably also there's no getting around um, this July 31st cliff, you know, this fiscal cliff that everyone's been talking about. You know, we have the expiration of the enhanced unemployment benefits at the end of July. And, you know, Congress kind of still trying to figure out what it might do about that. And uh, so that's going to be an integral um, uh, point here as we look at the back half of the year in terms of the economic prospects. So probably, you know, formulate something around around that idea and some of the implications for the market if, you know, you get a renewal of that benefit or or a change to it. Sounds good. Thanks for joining me, sir. As always, be safe and take care of your family and good investing. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. It's a reliable source of domestic and international information that I trust. And I've had him on for a long time. We have the longest relationship in my life of a person that I haven't met. I really hope when all is said and done that I get to fly out to Chicago and meet him and his family because uh, I dig talking to him. And he's kind of like your uncle. He's your financial uncle. I'm your financial uncle. He's someone you – his kids are so blessed having someone like him around. They're, they're not going to make a lot of money mistakes, and they're going to understand money because um, he understands money. You can find Patrick O'Hare and the whole crew at Briefing, and I, it's not a one-man show. It's a huge operation that has a ton of con- uh, content, special reports, stock ideas, the next big thing, momentum stocks, uh, scanning stocks, setups, industry insights, ETF notes. A lot of content at new folk, or at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. Big webinar coming up for New Focus Financial. Tomorrow evening, sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Big webinar coming up tomorrow night. Last chance for you to sign up for it. It's probably fill up, hopefully, by the end of the day. Chad's working on slides. I'm working on theory. Uh, it should be a good event. Six o'clock tomorrow. You can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Uh, I'd love to see you there. And you're actually going to get to see what my digs look like, which is kind of a weird thing to say out loud because it's going to be on Zoom. Um, a lot of things I want to talk about. One of them is the Holy Grail. I was fascinated by Parsifal and uh, the Knights of the Round Table growing up. The person who found the grail, he had to come back to it a second time because he didn't have humility the first time. I get that. The grail standing for eternal life, or does it stand for a lot of money? Same thing happens with Wall Street, the perfect portfolio. I've been chasing it for my whole life. It's been an obsession of mine. It's like the great white whale. It's I have to have it. Every day I live longer on this planet, I realize... I'm not going to find it. And you know when I find it? When I rename it the perfect portfolio to the awesome portfolio. Do you remember the South Park episode of Awesome O3000? <laughs> Great Halloween costume, by the way. That's all I'm going to say. Um, awesome O. Robot made out of cardboard boxes. Anyhow, um, the perfect portfolio is something we will pursue. And it's very, very difficult to pull off. 
you know, what is the perfect portfolio? Is it one that grows a little bit every day? Or is it one that has no down drafts when the market gets crushed in March? Is it a big multi-strategy that you won't ever quite understand until you're finished at the finish line and all the levers you pulled open the door finally? The holy grail is what happens to most people who pursue the holy grail. The actual grail is supposed to bring you eternal life. It's supposed to be wonderful. The fake grail takes it away from you. Kind of like your investment returns, right? So when you try to get that perfect portfolio, and I've been overweight Apple for too long, and I hate that because I'm in the financial media world where uh, you kind of want to tell people, diversify, 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 but you're like, don't pay your taxes. So you kind of start to say, what is the holy grail? Is it the fancy gold jewel encrusted cups? Do you remember seeing those on Indiana Jones and Last Crusade and the the Nazis? Everyone hates Nazis and they're melting skin away and you're like, yay. Um, but the, the true grail is always a plain sturdy cup. It's nothing fancy. Uh, so don't drink out of the jewel encrusted one. You'll melt. So you have to learn that your goal in investing is not to be perfect. Your goal in investing is not to do that. Um, people focus on returns to the exclusion of all else. They want the portfolio stuffed with aggressive growth mutual funds that return 12% minimum. Or I just want Apple, Netflix, Google, Microsoft. But keep in mind, I used to say, I just want Yahoo and Excite. And um, there's a lot of America online. It didn't take long for the crap to wash away, so to speak. And for new poop to come up on the beach and go, ooh, it's lovely. So in the perfect portfolio, you also have to consider risk, not just return. And that's when you start going, there is no perfect portfolio. This gets into behavioral aspects of pursuing perfection. I like to say that with any investment you make, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tested. I've seen some arrogant little kids like go, oh, I'm going to go buy like – this uh, bicycle company in China, or I'm going to go buy this company that cures cancer, the company that freezes cancer. Like, I'm going to go buy. And they're all smart and they're all arrogant. And hearing them talk, it is just horrific. Hearing a 20-year-old talk about money and investing, it is horrific because they're idealistic and they have no clue that they're going to be tested. You will experience losses. You will question your motives, your insights. You will frighten. You will shake in despair. The goal of my portfolios is not to be frightened. It's to get it and forget it. Maybe once a year. I knew the market was going to open strong today. You know, many times I've looked at the market since it's open. None. My game plan is 5, 10, 15, 20 years. It's not 5, 10, 15 days. If you invest for returns without considering risk, there's a pretty good chance you're going to experience a slowdown and some pullback. And then you're going to say, hey, should I dump the whole position? Should I dump half the position? What should I do? And sometimes when you're playing around like with you know, horse bets, you can literally bet on a horse for a quarter. And you're like, that's no big deal. I could, I could survive that hit. But when you start getting into stocks and they're hundreds and thousands of dollars of investments, your decisions become worse or more magnified if you don't play the volatility of the portfolio correctly. It may seem obvious to you. But you shouldn't gamble with money you can't afford to lose. And yet people do. Um, I know a person right now who's going out and furnishing an apartment. I'm like, you know, if you're to live with a roommate for two or three years, everything that you saved on that apartment could be your whole retirement. 
You'll never have to do anything again. But then you have to live with roommates. And in the time of COVID, I wonder how that's working out. I've got a friend whose daughter's in her early 20s. And, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I do comparison. I was like, um, I got an apartment with two people. One of them had like crazy lifestyle, alcohol, drugs, sex. Another one of them was, he liked to play pool. I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, but I knew I wanted to pay $300 a rent month for rent. We all paid 300 The monthly rent was 1000 Now the monthly rent's 4000 And you get five or six people with some girlfriends, boyfriends, is sharing couches and stuff. And you're trying to get to that, that magical number of it as cheap as possible. So when it comes to investing and it comes to money, you, you really should think about it as you can't afford to lose. If you're looking for the holy grail, if you're looking for perfection, managing your downside is probably more important than managing your upside. You're going to get market returns. The markets go up seven out of 10 years. So trying to be good at not losing money is probably more important. Now, I could talk about beta correlations. I could talk about alphas. I could talk about sharp ratios. All I'm going to tell you is don't look for the perfect portfolio. Look for the Osimo 3000 portfolio. I'll be talking about that in the webinar. You can find out more information tomorrow evening at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Go Google Osimo South Park. You'll get a kick out of it. I'm Rob Black, and I'm Osimo, and so are you. We'll talk soon.